just don't be afraid to start with one person. You don't have to have the biggest, best business plan, the perfect website, the perfect everything. If you really believe that your product is going to impact somebody's life in an incredibly positive way and impact you know, the earth in a positive way, then just offer it to one person, 10 people, like just start. Because I can promise you that if we had waited until we felt like things were good enough or perfect, that we would probably still be iterating. Hey guys, welcome to Active Ingredient, the podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I'll be taking a deep dive into why people do what they do and what it is that drives them. I believe every single person has an active ingredient to them aka a purpose, and all we have to do is uncover what that is and activate it. I'm looking at people across the board with fancy titles like editors and chiefs, founders and CEOs, to under-the-radar activists who are changing the world one person at a time. I want to get to the bottom of how they first discovered their passion, how they channel their talent consistently, and ultimately how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. This week's episode is with Danielle Dubois, who is the co-founder of Sakara Life, a 100% plant-based and organic ready-to-eat meal delivery service company. But more than that, Sakara is a true lifestyle. The company has been featured in major publications such as Oprah, Vogue, New York Times, and honestly, too many to name here. I actually just finished the Sakara Life Level 2 Detox, and I gotta say, I really, really loved it. I've been eating a little reset. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've definitely been feeling it. (laughs) And this really did it for me. And I've tried so many detoxes and this one just really felt like they were taking care of me in a weird and like amazing way. I also decided to subscribe to their meal delivery service for Monday through Wednesdays moving forward because the past few weeks have honestly just felt a little hectic and I'm trying to be really strategic with my time. So I decided to do lunch and dinner Monday through Wednesday to try to just kind of set my week up for success. And I'm so excited because their food actually tastes incredible. And I like look forward to what they have and it changes every week. So this is not an ad at all. I am not getting paid to say this by any means, but they did offer a code for active ingredient listeners. So if you want to try Sakara for yourselves, you can use code PN underscore active podcast for $20 off your first order. And I'll also include the code in the show notes because it's kind of a funky code, but it's P as in Patrick, N as in nation underscore active podcast for $20 off your first order. So on today's episode, we get into Danielle's personal body image journey, which I can really relate to. um, And that's why I really wanted to have her on the podcast how healing herself led her to create Sakara with the intention of healing others. She walks us through how she let go of her original career goal of becoming a doctor and knew that she was the one who had to continue going down this path of healing and educating others that food is medicine with Sakara. We distinguish the difference between a mission and a passion and why mission-based companies are the ones who will ultimately have longevity and survive the pandemic. We get into the importance of not glorifying entrepreneurship, which was a very important thing for me to talk about. I know that I interview a lot of founders on this podcast, but it's not what I set out to do. It's just a lot of the pitches that I get are founders. So it's something that I think we need to talk about more of. And I want to have more people on the podcast that are not founders that just love what they do, even if they're working in a company. And lastly, 
she gives her recommendation to focus on healing yourself if you're feeling lost about finding your active ingredient. I feel like we have a lot of pressure on ourselves to figure it out. And her recommendation was to focus on healing yourself. So with that, let's get into this week's episode with Danielle Dubois. So thank you so much for being on the Active Ingredient Podcast. You're someone I've been wanting to have for a while, and I'm also a big fan of your podcast. So thank you for coming on. Oh, of course. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I always kick off every Active Ingredient episode asking the guests what they were like as a kid that they remember. And if you think that childlike qualities are kind of like in what you're doing today. Um, What an interesting question. I... Don't know. <laughs> I mean, I was, uh, I, it was um, just me and my mom growing up. So uh, she was a single parent, which now I'm a, I'm a mother and I, I, I just can't imagine doing it alone. <laughs> Huge love and shout out to all the single parents out there. Um, but so my mom and I were really close. I was definitely kind of more of a shy, introverted child. Um, always like attached to her at the hip. Um, but you know, I also, she was sick a lot as I was growing up. And so I learned how to really like take care of, not just take care of myself, but also take care of the people in my life. And I would say that that's definitely in my work now. Um, you know, that's part of your identity is like the person that takes care of others. I would say that it's something that comes really naturally to me. It's something that I feel like I have to offer. I wouldn't say it's my full identity. um, And I've definitely had to learn to receive, um, you know, care and love and nourishment instead of being the one that that gives. Um, But yeah, I'd say, you know, that's definitely a part of my mission and my work here at Sakara Life too, is to make sure people feel really nourished and, and taken care of. I love that. And the reason I asked the question is because for a lot of the people that I have on that I either know personally, or I've been like following their journey for a long time, there tends to be a common thread that a lot of their childlike, like pre like eight years old, um, personality traits tend to like flourish when you're really working in alignment with what you're, what, what you were put on this earth to do. That's so, so interesting. I know. And there there really is, like, I, I would say like the majority of guests have identified with those things and like, it's definitely prevalent in their day-to-day now. So I just love to hear. Yeah. I've never even like made that connection that I just made. <laughs> <laughs> I never really thought about it in that way, but I guess it, it does make a lot of sense. I love it. So what did you think that you wanted to be when you grew up? Like what was your kind of idea of what your career was going to look like? Uh, well, because my mom was sick so often, I, I watched the, the medical system uh, in, in so many cases really help her and save her life. And then in other cases, get in the way um, and not be a, a healing resource for her. Um, I, so I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to be a part of helping people feel better. So um, I wanted to be a doctor from a really young age. Uh, so that's, you know, that's, that was my path up until the moment I started Sakara. I was pre-med, I was working in a hospital. Um, and it wasn't until 
I went through kind of my own rock bottom and witnessed how food healed so many patients as well that I decided to study nutrition instead of medicine, even though I think nutrition is medicine. Like you guys like nail that with like your messaging, your branding. I feel like anyone that knows Sakara's name, it's kind of like it goes hand in hand. Um, But I'm curious to go back to like making that first decision because like this podcast is for the person who's like at those moments in life where they don't know whether or not they should take take the risk or like continue down a path. Um, Because I feel like I don't want to glaze over the fact that you were studying pre-med. Like that's a big decision and like it's a lot of years that you're putting towards becoming a doctor. It's like one of, I think it's the career that, that it's the most years that you have to put in, right? Before you can actually start practicing. So, yeah, it's a long time. Yeah, so I feel like that decision could not have been something that you took lightly. And I'm curious to know what your thought process was behind it and like how comfortable you felt kind of like saying goodbye to all the years that you had already put into it to focus on a different path. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, there's a lot in there. I guess I'd say that I was definitely one of those kids, young adults that like, if I set my mind to something, I just kind of do it. Um, So I'd say that there was definitely time throughout my pre-med studies where I was just doing it because I told myself, this is what I'm doing. And I didn't really ask, like, is this fully aligned with what I'm, what I want? But I also have... And and I and I hope this for for everyone listening. I also had this innate trust that I would find my path. And sometimes your path can't be forced. And it's really easy for me to say that now. I get it. Um, in the moment, it didn't feel easy to uh, almost surrender in this way and to letting your path find you. And you know, I was a very active participant in my life. I, I think you have to be an active participant. And and when I mean letting something find you, that doesn't mean like it's finding you while you're just sitting around twiddling your thumbs. Like everything that I did before Sakara led me to Sakara. I just didn't know. So thank God I have pre-med training because now I get to help heal people and I use a lot of that training. Um, but I didn't know that that was going to be a part of my path. In terms of letting go of the past path, it was it was definitely hard because there's also a lot of ego involved mm-hmm. in especially around, you know, anything past undergrad. It's kind of like if you don't finish the path, you know, like you gave up or you know, whatever it and is. Even so, now, I feel like even now that translates. Like you put you you put a deadline for yourself or like you're trying to reach a certain goal with your company or within like the job that you're currently working at and like it doesn't matter if you don't get there if that's not where you want to go anymore. So I feel like that's just relevant across the board, not even just undergrad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, and you know, there are kind of egoic narratives that we we cling on to and we hold on to because we think that uh, having the title or certification or MD after our name is going to give us the the kind of power or. Uh, you know, sense of fulfillment that we're looking for. But for me, I I guess when I decided to switch my path, it it felt like it I I couldn't see where I am today, even though Whitney and I always talk about how we really just had this this faith that Sakara would would become what it was destined to become. In the moments, of course, there's so much heartache and there's so much uncertainty. Um, 
but food saved my life and, and changing the way I ate saved my life. And I had such a transformation that I just knew in my heart that that was my gift to the world that I had gone through, you know, as millions of people have, I'd gone through so much pain around food, so much heartache around food, so much, you know, so much of a vicious cycle around my relationship to my body and my relationship to my plate, my relationship to, am I worthy enough of nourishment? Um, that when I finally healed, I felt like that was my, my mission and that was the work I was meant to do. It's interesting because I feel like something that I always like to identify with guests is like, how did you know that it was going to be your actual career? This is how you're going to build a business and make money versus a not, I don't want to call it a hobby or just like something that is very true to you, but not necessarily a business that you build. Cause I think that those are two really different paths. Um, I'm curious to know, yeah, I'm curious to know how you knew that it was that path of building an actual business for it, um, versus just having that path for you individually. I have two answers to that. One is like kind of a spiel that I always give, which is, I think there's, it's exactly what you're saying, which is there's a difference between a mission and a passion. And I think we often get them confused and a passion is something that you could do on the weekends. A passion is maybe you could be a hobby. It's not that you can't be passionate about your mission, but passionate or, or following your passion is not the same as fulfilling your mission. So when I uncovered the power of food as medicine for myself, I it was my mission. It would wake me up out of bed. It would get me through the hardest days where you know, I have clients yelling at me and I have no idea if this is ever going to be a business and you know, like lawyers calling me, accountants calling, like the the most stressful moments in Sakara history. It's like what got me through was knowing that we were making a difference in people's lives and that I was fulfilling that that mission. So I think you have to find your gift that you're giving the world. And I think that's the the lens that thinking about your mission gives versus your passion. Passion is a little bit more like what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Mission is what are you giving to the world? And, and I think once you find that, um, you become extremely passionate about it because you're aligned and um, it, it, it kind of builds this fire in you that yeah. makes you want to, to keep going. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like a mission, like it's, it's something that is born in you, but it's also something that you choose to create and build for other people. So when you decided to build that first kind of, I, I've heard you on a few different podcasts and I heard that you guys started doing a dinner party for your friends. Like, How did you take it from making a mission of doing a dinner party for your friends and healing your friends or just between you and Whitney to then expanding that to kind of people that you don't know? Well, I think in reference like to your other question too, this is kind of combined. It's you you don't always have to I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves of like, how do I make this a business? Mm-hmm. That was not the pressure we put on ourselves early on. The pressure we put on ourselves was how do we, you know, we transformed our own lives. How can we transform one other life? And then from that it was like, okay, let's do another and then let's do another. And I think this next generation coming up is profoundly eager in in the best of ways, but also I think it can really set you back when it's all or nothing. And I get, you know, 
I'm on panels about entrepreneurship all the time. And it's always a question of like, I don't know what business to start or if this will be a business. And Whitney and I didn't have any of the answers when we started. And to your point, you know, we were broke and the only way we could think of to raise a little bit of money was to throw a dinner party and charge people. So that money just allowed us... We raised like 700 bucks and it allowed us to build our own website and have some marketing cards. Um, So it wasn't like we sat down and thought, okay, what's the business plan? What's the... And yes, we sat down and we thought like, what's the brand? What's our offering? But it was all so like on the back of an envelope kind of Mm -hmm. thing. It was our mission that was most important. It wasn't the business that was most important. And I think that that really helped us always stay true and authentic to that mission. And I, I think whatever success we've had to date is because Sakara is always about the mission. I don't even to this date think of it as a business. So I am curious to know, because a lot of people have this thought too, like, how did you know that you were the person that had to build Sakara? Because I feel like so many people, especially like entrepreneurial brains, like you always have ideas coming, you know, front, left, center. How did you know that this was the one that you had to be the one to choose that you couldn't just wait for someone else to do it for you or that you couldn't just like tweak something that was already out there? Like that's, I think a big, a big distinguishing factor also of like knowing that it has to be you the one to, to bring it to the world. Yeah, I think again, it's just putting on the the cap of of am I fulfilling my mission versus my business potential. Mm-hmm. I mean, as we were coming up, you know, when we started, there was no such thing as meal delivery, so we called ourselves like organic meal delivery because that wasn't out there, so there was nothing to compare us to. Over the following five to ten years, there's been many meal delivery companies that have come up. Um, and it was terrifying along the way because, you know, they were better funded, you know, they were HBS grads and, you know, tech teams and, you know, had so many more resources. And so we were really nervous. Like, is this going to mean that they're going to be more successful or squash us or, you know, kill the market or whatever it is. And now, you know, we've been doing this 10 years and there's a graveyard of meal delivery companies. Um, we're one of the few that are left standing. And I think first and foremost, it's because we were meant to do this work. And and it's not even about Whitney and I, it's that the the authenticity coming from this was the food that we eat every single day. This is the food that changed our lives 10 years ago and we're still eating this way. There's no, you know, there's no gimmicks. There's no like buy 10 meals, get 10 free. Like there's just, if you want to transform, if you want to change your life, if you want to prioritize your own health, we're here for you. There's no judgment. There's no rules. There's no list of things you can't eat. Um, And I think 99% of other meal delivery companies didn't even like have a mission other than offering convenience. So I, again, I think it's really thinking about, you know, your gift to the world and maybe that is tweaking something that's already out there. I also think though, that there's so much to be said about being an entrepreneur. I don't think that the best route is always starting your own business. I think for some people, maybe 
but we're in a time where (laughs) there's a lot of businesses out there. There's a lot of noise. And I don't think we need one more product. I don't think we need another platform. I think we need to have really smart people aligning themselves with other really smart people and a mission that they really believe in. And if that is within an organization, then that's just as profound as, you know, starting your own. That's so true. And I love that you say that because uh, it's funny because I, I actually didn't set out to do active ingredients to just interview founders. Like it was really to interview anyone that's passionate about what they do or that has a mission. But it's funny because like the pitches that I get are always from founders or I mean, that's that's who's like trying to get their message out there because they either have a product or they're just like more comfortable speaking to the camera. But it's something that I'm personally so passionate about trying to find those entrepreneurs to talk to because no one's talking to them on podcasts. No one's like bringing them to light. And it's like, those are the people that actually help companies, first of all, get to the point of, you know. Exactly. Like none of us would be here without them. (laughs) A million percent. And it's just, it's really hard to identify them because they're just not the ones that are typically speaking on these podcasts. But again, like I totally, totally hear you. And like, I've also struggled sometimes thinking like, should, like, I don't know, like today I think that the entrepreneurial route is right for me, but like, what if one day I wake up and I don't want that anymore? You know? Yeah. You also don't have to be married to one of them, you know? Exactly. And also when you decide to be an entrepreneur, it's like, it's, it's like having a child, you Mm -hmm. know? And that is not something anyone should take lightly. Um, and I have not used this metaphor before, so I don't know if it's exactly correct, but you know, versus like being more of a step parent where that's a huge decision as well. And you're forever part of that, you know, quote child's life. Um, if you, if you really build that relationship and, and the same is within a company and you can have a, a, a huge impact, if not a, a bigger impact in some cases. Um, so I think entrepreneurship in general has been quite idolized over the past five to 10 years. And I, I I think on one hand, you know, that is great because it's given room for, you know, especially, um, you know, a lot of women to, to really come up and build what they want to build. Um, but yeah, I think there's so much to be said about aligning yourself with a company that you believe is doing profound work. Love it. Well, I love, um, kind of like your your view on how the meal delivery service for you has stayed like so successful because of the authenticity and because of the mission. I feel like I'm actually on level two detox right now. Oh, like, amazing. And I I really, really feel it with every single thing. My boyfriend's doing it with doing the detox with me. Oh, he is. Good for him. <laughs> Which by the way, like it's funny that we're both eating the same amount of food and I'm like, I don't know, like maybe do you want like another bite of mine? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we we found that like actually men are typically like they do almost better than a lot of our women on level two. He was um, my which, yesterday, I will yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I don't know if you have read any of Elisa Vitti's work. Um, I had her on the podcast. Yeah, so she talks a lot about how actually some of these um, kind of intermittent fasting things are, are actually, it's easier for men to do than it mm-hmm. is for women. 
A million percent. Yeah, no, yeah. he was definitely my anchor yesterday. But my point with saying this is that I, I really feel the authenticity in every single part of what we received, you know, oh, like, thank you. and I, and I totally like not to like be like fangirling, but I think that like, that is really the, the reason why Sakara has had such longevity and such success. And uh, like, to your point that it's a space that has had a lot of meal delivery graveyard, whatever mm-hmm. the saying is. Yeah. Um, but I want to take it back to kind of like your body journey. Um, I've heard you speak on a few podcasts, um, identifying it at a very young age. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also want to kind of have an understanding of how becoming a mother has transitioned your body image or like how how you're dealing with it today. Um, Because it's obviously the reason why you even created Sakaar in the first place. So I'd kind of love to get uh, in the audience background. Yeah, well, you know, I think like so many young women and and more and more men, I suffered from pretty severe body image issues and felt like an alien in my body for most of my life and uh, didn't feel like my body represented who I felt like I was. Um, And I I didn't have a really good footing in how my choices and my decisions impacted my physical body. So there was always kind of this um, like distance between me and my body, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it manifested to me dieting for 15 years of my life. I mean, I started dieting at nine. Um, you know, now that I'm a mother thinking about my daughter dieting in seven years, it's just so heartbreaking. Um, and I, I, I was, you know, really good at at dieting. Like if you gave me rules, I'd I'd follow them. So the high highs and low lows were really intense. Um, You know, the high highs being like, oh, wow, this diet's really working and whatever. I feel like I I look how I want to look, Mm -hmm. Um, which I couldn't even like, I couldn't even tell you what that was. Like I couldn't even tell you the bullet points. Like it was all so subtle. Um, But then the low lows being, okay, well, I can't eat grapefruit and cottage cheese forever. So now what do I do? And then you, you know, quote, fall off the wagon. Um, And I learned how to count calories and carbs and points and pounds. And I just never learned how to build a body I felt really good in, that I felt empowered in, that I felt sexy in. And um, it culminated or kind of came to a head when I was living here in New York. I was studying medicine. I was working in a hospital. Um, I took a month off to do this retreat in Southern Arizona with Dr. Gabriel Cousins, um, who's an amazing, amazing man and a raw foodist. And he's like a rabbi. He's a doctor. He's like a medicine man. He's like everything. Um, And it was 21 days. And the first seven days were a water fast. And the following two weeks were uh, like all raw food. And, um, I got really, really sick and I flew back to New York and Whitney took one look at me and was like, what did you do? You know, I just, I, I, my eyes were sunken. I, my stomach was descended. I had a fever. I couldn't really keep food down. And she ended up taking me to the hospital and I had pneumonia and I also have, you know, the umbrella of IBS, which is Oh, what kind of what Western medicine? Yeah, I mean, it's basically a, a blanket 
diagnosis that says we don't really know what's wrong. I know. Um, I have a family member that has it and it's so frustrating. It's yeah, and, and, frustrating. And, and it's, it's not one thing. It's, it's, it's several things. Um, so I, that was my aha moment where I just realized, I, I, I think I scared myself into realizing how much I was willing to do or how far I was willing to go to change this body of mine. Um, and there I was like sicker than ever. And I realized like, if I didn't, if I didn't have a turning point, if I didn't start to fix it, that it might just get more and more severe. And then I was also, you know, working in a hospital at the time with a cardiologist and we were seeing patients with late stage life disease diseases. So obviously things like heart disease, but also diabetes, et cetera. And, you know, they were such late stage um, patients that, you know, we couldn't really do much in terms of changing their lifestyle. It was really like, what is the pharmacological or surgical intervention that's possible now to, mm-hmm. to help turn this around for this patient? But I thought, you know, who's getting to these people like before it's severe? Because by definition, if it's a lifestyle disease, if you change your lifestyle, you can you know, at, at worst manage it and at best re- reverse it. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that, that you learn even in, in pre-med and, and medical studies at this point is really old nutrition medicine, like low-fat yogurt, um, wow. you know, counting calories. And I just realized like I had so much healing to do around food and nourishment. And I was witnessing so many other people that had so much healing to do around food that I thought if I could just learn how to heal myself, then, then hopefully by default, I could learn how to help at least one other person. So what were those like tangible steps that you did to kind of first learn how to treat your body and what to eat? I'm sure it didn't come like overnight and you had like the perfect meal plan. So I'm curious to know what that journey looked like. Yeah. So I finished my studies and I, I ended up studying, um, biochemistry and, um, then I went on to study nutrition. I studied at IIN. Um, and then I also just became kind of my own student. You know, I think when you're sick and for anyone out there that's had any kind of autoimmune or gut disorder or, you know, anything really, you, you at some point decide, okay, I'm taking this into my own hands because nobody's really helping me. And I think the world's changing. Um, you know, there's so many more functional medicine doctors and and people that are really focused on holistic health. But especially at the time, 10 years ago, it was still very much Western medicine. And if you have IBS, you know, here are your three options, if any options at all, and we don't really know what's going on. Um, so I, you know, was was studying, but also studying kind of my own symptoms, which, you know, at the time it was like I would become severely bloated just by eating a meal. It didn't matter what it was. Um, And so, you know, I was also in school learning about nutrigenomics and epigenetics and how your environment and your nutrition turns on and off genes. I was learning about the microbiome, which 10 years ago, you know, people weren't really talking Mm -hmm. about um, and how, you know, those trillions of bacteria in your gut are dictating just about everything about your health. Um, and that we had been blasting them with antibiotics, not just pharmacological antibiotics, but also antibiotics in our food system and our water. 
um, you know, herbicides, fungicides, pesticides that are designed to kill. Um, and then we ingest them and they go in and they kill the, the really important microbes. Um, I was also born C-section and not breastfed. And so understanding what that meant for my overall gut health. And then I also did my own studies, you know, and Whitney and I really did this part together, which is what if people have been doing for thousands of years. Like what if, you know, we're from Sedona, Arizona, which is a very kind of hippie spiritual town. And we were lucky enough to grow up around a lot of different kinds of people and ways of thinking. So, you know, there were people that were following Taoist traditions around food and making sure you get, you know, all the, the flavors and senses of the tongue, you know, Ayurvedic, uh, thinking about all the spices and seasons and, and when you need to cool the body and when you need to warm the body. So it took a few years for me to, I think, really understand what health for me looked like. You know, there's, who's, who has the eagle's eye perspective? Because you can't just live in the microbiome world where all you're thinking about is the science behind the microbiome. You also have to pull back and think about, you know, all the different types of macronutrients you're getting, micronutrients you're getting. You also have to think about like, what have they been doing, you know, in Ayurvedic traditions for thousands of years and Taoist traditions? And, and how can we kind of combine this into one understanding of what true health looks like? So that's what we built over, you know, a couple of years. And it's now our, our pillars of nutrition. Um, and the funny thing is, is that I, it's such common sense. And I think I, yes, I studied nutrition, but I actually think the study of nutrition in general has put us far back. Um, because the minute we bring a scientific lens to food, um, we are no longer thinking about it as a whole food. And what I mean by that is in, in, in scientific experiments, in the scientific method, you have to come up with a hypothesis and then you have to isolate so that there aren't, you know, inputs that are perhaps, you know, messing up your results. So if I want to study beta carotene from a carrot, I actually have to take out the beta carotene from the carrot. So now it's no longer within the context of the food. So can I fully understand it? Can I right. fully also understand like lose the connection of where it comes from and the whole? Yeah, the and whole you know, today. when you eat a carrot versus take beta carotene, we absorb very different amounts, and we still don't fully understand what you know. It and that's yeah. one small thing. So I think the study of nutrition has been incredibly important, and I'm obviously obsessed with the science <laughs> behind food. But um, you know, I think when we get back to nature, that's when when we're all set up for success. So the, the pillars are, are certainly based on science, um, but they're also really based in relying on whole natural organic foods and getting a variety and getting as many of them as you can. Like that's the most simplistic form. I could talk for two hours on, on all the pillars, um, but it's nourishing the microbiome. It's nourishing the body. It's making sure you're getting all the antioxidants, polyphenols, plant fiber that you need to really show up as your best self. And somehow we've all landed in this, this time in human history where it's really hard to eat well. The grocery store is not our friend. So um, you know, we're even, even on the outer aisles where it's fresh food, it's often contaminated with pesticides, herbicides. Um, that impact our, our gut lining and our microbiome. 
So you have to be your own advocate. Um, and one of the reasons we, I was so passionate about making sure people had access to this food was like, I would go to the grocery store knowing what I had known about agricultural practices and the importance of sourcing from regenerative farms and organic farms. It just takes so much time to sift through the bullshit. Like the bullshit of the grocery store is overwhelming. A hundred percent. And like that leads me to my next question, which I think about with Sakara all the freaking time is that logistically and operationally, it seems like a massive undertaking. You guys think about every single thing. Every single piece of produce is organic. Like you guys are going to these specific farms. How how did you guys like it took two years? I feel like that's a small amount of time. to to get it to i i mean i i'm sure it's iterated and changed as like the years have gone but still even with that like the like v1 of sakara was still a big undertaking so i'm curious to know how you guys thought about that and how did it come to life yeah you know i think one of the beautiful things about starting a company when you're really young is this um <laughs> blind faith um that you don't know how hard it is and you don't know how hard it's going to be like there's no way that if I were my current age, knowing what I know, that I would start Sakara over again. Even though where I am right now, like I'm just so happy and grateful and fulfilled. But it is, it is such hard work. I mean, it was 24 hour days for years on end, and you know it took a toll. But again. I felt like I was aligned. So I was filling up in other ways, even though, you know, I was, I was giving so much. Um, and then also back to, I think I mentioned this earlier, of like, just don't be afraid to start with one person. You don't have to have the biggest, best business plan, the perfect website, the perfect everything. If you really believe that your product is going to impact somebody's life in an incredibly positive way and impact, you know, the earth and and our culture in a positive way, then just offer it to one person, 10 people, like just start. Um, Because I can promise you that if we had waited until we felt like things were good enough or perfect, that we would probably still be iterating. It's so wild. I really do think about you guys all the time because I, I mean, I love Sakara. I think it's incredible, Thank but I'm just so like, much. wow, it, it just, it, there's so much work that goes into every single it's thing. It's insane. I mean, we have like it's 200. Insane. I can't think of a business I, and I'm really not just saying this, but like what business you guys also, by the way, for anyone listening, they ship nationwide. So like think about logistically what that That's means. insane. <laughs> I mean, we have 230 employees and, you know, a hundred thousand square feet of manufacturing facilities. It's it's incredibly laborious and intense. And if you don't, if we didn't have our heart in it, we would have given up so long ago. Is there ever a point that you feel like, oh my God, we've gone too far? But it's like, I just like, I'm wondering, cause like I'm still in a very early, early stage. Like, yeah. does it get so big that you're like, oh, like there's no, 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 because our mission is to help as many people as possible. And so then you start to just realize, yes, we've been fortunate enough to impact, you know, thousands of lives now, but we want to help more people, you know, we want to impact mm-hmm. more lives. So it's like this weird thing where you calibrate 
And then you look ahead and you're like, oh my God, there's so much to do. So it's like you, we actually have to stop and remind ourselves like where we've come because it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like we're, you know, we don't talk about success. We don't, you know, pat each other on the back. It's <laughs> like, there's none of that. It's, it's so not about that. It's like, okay, who else can we impact? What else can we do? And how else can we start to fulfill this mission? It's pretty incredible to, to see. Um, Thank you. No, I, I really am really impressed, but I'm curious to know, um, what are your thoughts on just the overall cancellation of diet culture in general? I think Sakara does an absolutely incredible job of it not being marketed as a diet. It is not a diet. It's a lifestyle. You guys have that at every touch point, but mm-hmm. especially in the height of the pandemic, there has been a massive, massive under like a complete cancellation, honestly, of any single brand um, that talks about weight loss. I'm curious mm-hmm. to know what your what your thoughts are about that. And I, it's like, I, I as a consumer also struggle because sometimes like I need a reset or like I, I want to, I mean, I want to feel good. I want to feel good. And like that now I feel guilty and I'm like, well, should I just do, you know, whatever. And I fall on I like know. these two sides and it's yeah. confusing and it's like, I don't know how to feel, you know? Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. I actually had a really hard time launching level two because I was nervous for not people like you, but people like the old me who were going to use it as a really severe diet, Mm -hmm. which is why we don't offer it every single week. We only offer it, you know, every once in a while. Um, So you really have to like prep yourself for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I know if we offered it every single week, like there would be people out there that would do it every single week. And that's not what it's meant to do. It's meant to be this, this reset. And it's totally okay if, you know, cultures and especially religious sects have been fasting and doing things like this Mm -hmm. for thousands of years. That's nothing that we should feel guilty about. And it is one of the tools in our toolkit to kind of reset our bodies. Um, But I guess I'd say that I, in general, am worried about things like wellness, plant-based. I'm worried about the trend of them. I'm worried about, um, you know, like the non-diet becoming the next diet. You know, I've heard a lot of people talk about, um, we call it body intelligence, but I forget like how people talk about it out in the world. We're talking about intuitive um, eating. Intuitive eating. I I just heard someone on a podcast talking about it, and it's like it's it's just like so it's too esoteric for today. Like maybe we'll get there at some point. And I just don't know if it's helpful. Like the way we talk about it, which I hope is more helpful, is yeah, you actually if you were if you can show up today and understand what intuitive eating is and feel great, which. My husband is one of those people. Like he has always been an intuitive eater and he's fine. And mm-hmm. he doesn't have to think about it. He eats when he's hungry. He eats really well naturally. When he you know, goes too far in one direction, he knows how to get himself back. I'd say most people are not like that. I certainly was not like that. I'm absolutely not like that. <laughs> I had to really build the skills. And we call that body intelligence. And you have to build up body intelligence because I can promise you that for most of us, it's been taken from us. And the way that it's taken from us is by, you know, bad information out there of like, don't listen to your cravings. Like if you're craving chocolate, maybe you're low in zinc. And it's like, you know, at this point, if I'm craving chocolate, I eat chocolate. But there was a time where I was like, I can't listen to my body. Um, it's also taken away from us by our food system in so many ways. You know, there's in- 
endocrine disruptors, there's, you know, microflora disruptors, there's, you know, MSG and preservatives that, that intercept how our gut and our brain talk. Um, so, you know, the gut brain connection and what we think about is like listening to our body or that intuitive eating is intercepted all the time. If you don't eat well, right. Um, like you can't just go from like eating like trashy food or I don't, I don't want to call it that, but like eating food that's not great for you. Yeah. I think that like the cues that you're getting after that are your true body cues. It's like, like sugar will take over your brain and will make you think that that's your true cue, but it's not, you have to kind of reset before. Yeah. And, and like I said, most of the things that you find in the grocery store, most of the, the, you know, like I rarely go out to eat and I'm, I, I'm really not an extremist, but I just know too much about food to put my health in the hands of somebody else. And yes, I go out to eat. I went out last night. It was lovely. It was fun. I didn't think about it. I let myself have whatever I wanted, even though you know, I knew some of it wasn't organic and wasn't what I would ever make for myself. That we call the joy factor. That you know is separate. Building body intelligence, you have to, if you're somebody that believes that you don't have it and, you know, that's, again, that's most of us, or you don't understand necessarily what intuitive eating is, or maybe you think you do, but you don't always follow your intuition, then you have to cultivate that relationship with your body. I certainly did because I'd been dieting for so long that from, from a physiological, biological perspective, my gut was absolutely destroyed. Um, but also from a more emotional perspective, I didn't understand how to think about food as nourishment. It was always about calories or sugar or all these things instead of really thinking about, okay, what, what do I need to eat instead of what do I need to not eat? Mm-hmm. So I think in terms of you know what's happening right now, I would say that and I, I say this and not just about food, but really anything we're putting on or in our bodies, find companies that have a face and that you trust. And you have to do your research because there's just so much noise out there. I don't know if you've um, had food babe, Vani Hari on the podcast. I haven't had her on yet. No. Um, but I've heard her on a ton of podcasts. She's incredible. She's amazing. And um, you know, she talks about all of the crazy, 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 crazy shit that's in our food and how that gets in the way of us really understanding how to take care of ourselves. And, and I think about it all the time. Like when people go to a, I won't name names, but like a salad chain thinking they're doing something good for themselves, but they're eating a bowl full of pesticides. Mm-hmm. And it's not fair because talk about intuitive eating. Like, okay, yeah, maybe you were listening to your body and your body said a salad, but then you go and you get the salad and, you know, it's tomatoes that have been sprayed with, you know, chemicals right. that make them ripen and non-organic kale and, you know, refined oils in the dressing. It's so overwhelming and it's so sad what we've done to our food system. So I, I think it puts a lot of pressure on us to say, look, just intuitive eat because there are things that you can't even know or see about your food that are disrupting your own relationship to your body and your health. So I think instead you have to be a huge advocate for your own health mm-hmm. and you have to really cultivate that relationship. So you have to you know, source from organic regenerative farms. You have to ask where your food is from. And that's most of the time. Like I said, you know, I'm the first to grab piece of chocolate, a glass of wine or whatever I'm craving. You know, mm-hmm. last night I had French fries, which I never have. 
That's That's my weakness. I'm like Sophie French fries. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, but that's important. You know, joy is also a nutrient. Um, but yeah, I think you, I don't, I think that, uh, you know, what is it? What is it called? Um, intuitive eating. Thank you. (laughs) I like, I don't even want to remember it. Um, I think intuitive eating is something you could maybe stretch for, but it's a little passive. Mm-hmm. And if you and haven't done I, the work to like build right. up those muscles, then I wouldn't trust yourself right. just yet. That's why, like, I feel like this. Um, it's like been kind of like a mix of the body positivity, intuitive eating, canceling, like skinny culture, like all that stuff, like has come to a head. And I feel like people are forgetting the fact that like the majority of at least Americans do not know the first like building blocks of how to figure it out. So I feel like to cancel an entire culture that like, unfortunately our system is set up for us to be obese. That's literally what's happening in our country right now. Like we do need people that are experts in the space to help. And I just, I, I just struggle with like, I I mean, I'm, I'm super for the body positivity movement. And I think that like bodies were the way that you're born is the way that you're born. And I think that that's absolutely beautiful and should be celebrated. And what we've been seeing to date is absolutely not okay. Like that aspirational, like extremely skinny is a thing of the past, but what I don't want to happen is to have people think that they have to take it upon themselves. Like you said, um, because there are people that know how to help. (laughs) So yeah. And find those people and find those people that, you know, can say one that I've helped myself and have testimonials behind them of, you know, who else they've helped. Mm -hmm. And then also if it feels too extreme, it probably is. So, you know, have that radar up of if it, if it feels like, you know, a a diet, then, um, ask yourself if this is really like forever. And sometimes, Mm -hmm. look, sometimes we need to recalibrate and go a little bit, you know, I think of it like a pendulum. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we have to go a little more strict to then get back to our center because Mm -hmm. we've strayed too far the other way. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there talking about very extreme ways of eating, um, and especially for women can be very dangerous. Mm -hmm. So also just be careful that, you know, your life, that your lifestyle feels like a lifestyle and not a diet. Love it. How has COVID impacted uh, the business? I feel like right now a lot of people have like no time because they're you know being the parent, the teacher, um, the founder. Yeah. Like how how has it impacted? I think self care and wellness went from a nice to have to a oh shit, like I I have to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is one of the silver linings of this is that how healthy we show up every single day and how well we take care of ourselves um, is incredibly important, not just for ourselves, but for the world. And I think taking care of ourselves is the most selfless thing we can do. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've been very fortunate to be in the business of helping you take care of yourself in a time where people are prioritizing it more than ever. And it's been like fine with like logistics getting... getting I mean, it's been incredibly stressful. (laughs) Like, yeah, like lots of tears and lots of, you know, late night sweats and and wanting to keep our team safe and um, 
you know, keeping them safe, but also keeping them employed and having to think about the trade-offs in either scenario. So it's been incredibly stressful, but overall the health of the business is, is amazing because, you know, people are coming to us to, to help build their immune systems up. Yeah. So true. So what's next for Sakara? What, what do you guys have your eyes set on? Tell me, tell me what we can expect. Well, you know, I'm, I'm pregnant with number two. Whitney just had hers. So we're definitely... Congratulations. Thank you. We're definitely going to, you know, it started with, with Sakara helping us where we were. And now we're in kind of the next phase of our lives. So, you know, how can, how can we help women that are in this phase of thinking about children, having children postpartum? Um, so that's something that's really on my mind because, um, as somebody that knows so much about manufacturing and production, the, the tools that are out there for women at this stage are ones that like, I, I can't get behind and I can't trust. So we call it sacarifying. So like, what are the things that women at this stage need and how can we sacarify it? So basically make a higher quality, cleaner version of love it. Yeah. Have you guys ever thought, and I literally am just asking this because I had a Lisa on and I was thinking that it would be sick. And I, I think that you guys do incorporate it, but I don't know if you do it specifically per cycle, but syncing your like Sakara meal to your cycle, is that something that's ever come across your desk? Yeah. You know, we get asked that a lot. Um, like I, I think that there are ways that you could probably like tweak your delivery mm-hmm. to be a little bit more cycle friendly if that's something people are doing. But, um, you know, there's also, I think about Saqqara and the food that I eat every single day here as my, my home base. Mm -hmm. So it's what I do every day to make sure I'm getting what I need. And then if I need to tweak a little here and there, that's what I do for dinner or on the weekends. Um, so there's ways to like, you know, even if, I'm pregnant now. So for example, like I still eat Sakara every day, but I add like a high protein snack. Um, so just there's ways to modify on your own. Sakara is really meant to be, you know, your home base just to make sure you're okay. And then you can fine tune mm-hmm. with other things. Do you add animal protein? I do eat animal protein. Um, not very often. Uh-huh. But um, it, that's not something I add to Sakara, but it's something I'll do on the weekends or sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, family dinner or something like that. Got it. So I always ask all the guests what their active ingredient is, which I think you've touched on several times in the podcast. But mm-hmm. I would love to hear again, what is your active ingredient, the reason that you get up every day to go to Sakara? I think to remind people that they're worthy of being their most powerful selves that we, I think when we make bad decisions for ourselves in the form of food or relationships or habits, that we are diminishing our light. And sometimes we need, or oftentimes we need a reminder that we deserve to feel really good and we deserve to shine our lights. And that ultimately that's what everyone in your life wants from you anyway. And um, I think we get shy about it or we feel like we don't deserve it. And I think food or and just health and nutrition is such a big input into um, how you show up in the world. I love it. 
What would you say to someone who is listening right now that is kind of at this in-between stage or sees you doing something that you love and that you've found your mission or that your mission found you, however you want to say it, but, um, and is eager to find that for themselves, but doesn't even know what questions to ask themselves. And we can go back to the, like the entrepreneur, entrepreneur, or just kind of like a general blanket statement. Like what advice would you give to someone who's a little lost, who wants to kind of find their path? I would say that my mission was born out of me healing myself. And so if you'd asked me 15 years ago, if I'd be out in the world talking about my deepest insecurities around my body and my habits around food, like I never would have believed you. I had a lot of healing to do. And then that ended up being my gift to the world. So maybe ask yourself if there's anything you need to heal, if there's anything you need to work on, because oftentimes that's not just the gift we give ourselves that ends up being the gift that, that we give the world. That's an amazing answer. No one's given that answer on the podcast oh, good. today. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. Um, and then I always close out by asking just a lighter question. What is your literal active ingredient? What is something that you have to eat, do, see, um, hang out with every single day? Oh, it can be any of those things? Any of those things, yeah. Just something that's like a non-negotiable daily active ingredient. I mean so many things, but hmm. I mean, I think it's kind of cheesy to say, but like becoming a mother has been the most profound experience of my life. And, you know, I, uh, this year, 2020 has been really tough, but one of the beautiful things is that I've been home with my family every single evening. Like there's just not a lot of social plans and I didn't realize how busy I was until the world slowed down a little. And it's just been, it's been such a gift to take the evenings with my family. And so that's something that I want to continue even as the world starts to come alive again. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Where can everyone find you? And also shout out your podcast because it's one of my favorites. Oh, thanks so much. Um, Yeah, you can find us at sakara.com, Instagram at Sakara Life. I'm at Danielle Dubois. And yeah, we have a podcast called the Sakara Life Podcast. It's it's been such a fulfilling part of this kind of chapter of Sakara. And um, yeah, I hope you all take a listen. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me. I so appreciate it. That was great. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you can take two seconds of your time to rate and review us, it would really mean the world and help us out a ton. If you guys want more inspiration and quotes from the episode, you can check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.